Anybody else really thankful for that? I, his love never runs out. It never falters. It never wavers. You know, I, the more I contemplate on that and the more I think of myself, the more I'm amazed by that. Anybody else blow it this week? <laughs> I, I, I confess in time, I blew it big time yesterday. We're going to talk about, you know, our tongue and stuff later on today. But, you know, I, I lashed out yesterday. And, you know, I, no excuse. No excuse for that. I know better. I'm up here telling you guys not to do it. And I, but you know what? In the midst of all of that, in the, in the midst of our failures, in the midst of when we blow it, there's not even a little blip on the love radar. It, it never runs out because it's not based on us. It's not based on our faithfulness. It's based on his. What a God we serve. Lord, we are amazed by you. Oh, Lord, we can never, <laughs> can never thank you enough. Lord, what a wonderful thing it is to sing your praises and to sing the truth about you to you. Oh, Lord, it warms our hearts. And Lord, we thank you. Thank you for this place. Thank you for this, this freedom that we have that so many have fought for, Lord, but that you have given to us that we can worship you openly. Lord, we thank you for that love. And Lord, as we continue our worship now of you, as we open your word, we, we look into what your holy and living word would have for us. Lord, I pray that, that our hearts would be open and receptive to that. That, that your spirit would move in us. Have your way here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, good morning to you. Take out your Bibles, if you would. Open them up to the book of 1 Peter, chapter 3. 1 Peter, chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible with you today, don't own a Bible, please, under a seat close by in proximity in front of you should be one black hardcover Bible, take that one out, open it up to 1 Peter chapter 3. If you don't own a Bible, take that one home with you when we are done. 1 Peter, we've covered the first seven verses last week, talking about marriage, chapter 3. Verse 8 is where we will pick up our study this morning. Peter writes, to sum up, all of you be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit. Not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. For you were called for the very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. For the one who desires life to love and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. He must turn away from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears attend to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. These verses here, he starts out with the phrase, to sum up, and he's not done. He's not wrapping the letter up. As a matter of fact, interestingly, it's halfway through. We are going to finish about half of chapter three today. It's a five-chapter book, so two and a half chapters in to a five-chapter book, we're halfway. Any of you remember back to school, what happens halfway through a semester? Midterms, right? Anybody remember that? Midterms, well, 
We're basically going to have a midterm, if you would, today in the book of First Peter. Now, if you're like me, back midterms bring back a lot of memories, unfortunately, but midterm, one of the things I remember sitting around with a group of people, study people that were in the same class as me, getting together, comparing notes, and studying through this, and inevitably, at some point, somebody would strike out in frustration and say, why are we doing this anyway? It's not like we're ever going to use this stuff, right? <laughs> when, when am I ever going to actually need this in my life? And and for those of you parents of, of children, and those of you children that might be in here that, that ask that question from time to time, when am I ever going to use this? Well, one answer is when you have children of your own and you're helping them with their homework. That's, that's the last time I think I used my sixth grade math was in sixth grade, and now helping my son with his sixth grade math. But we can... We can get frustrated at times with that because we, we seem like we're studying and pouring all of this effort into, into senseless things. Well, not so in the midterm that we're studying for and reviewing today. Look at the middle of what we just read, verse 10. It says, For the one who desires life to love and see good days. It's not meaningless. It's not senseless. It's very practical for us. It says here, For those who desire life, who desire love, who desire good days. Who doesn't? Who doesn't desire those things? Who doesn't want those things? Now, the world might offer their version and, and tell us continually over and over how we can have that life, that full life, that abundant life, but Jesus tells us in John 10, 10, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Our Lord and our Savior said that he came to give us life. Yes, eternal life, but that life, as we've talked many times, begins the moment we are born again. It doesn't start in heaven. It begins when we are born again. And his desire for us is to have an abundant life. And that word abundant is really cool when we look at it. It means more than we need, exceedingly more than we need. An extraordinary life is the life that Jesus would have us to have. That's his desire for us. Now, many have taken this and twisted this to mean that God wants you to be rich and have the biggest house and to have the most expensive car and all that sort of stuff. That's not at all what Jesus is saying. As a matter of fact, Jesus is our example, is he not? Jesus said, I don't even have a place to lay my head. Jesus never had the biggest mansion or the, the fancy stuff. So what does he mean by this abundant life, this full life? Well, we understand it as we begin to unpack what Peter tells us and what Jesus refers to in, in his teachings, what he would have for us to have this life, this abundant life, this joy-filled life. What we see as we begin to look at this verse by verse, verse 8, it says, To sum up, all of you be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit. All of you. Who's he speaking to? Born-again believers. If you remember, as we've ta talked through this, Peter is writing this to believers in the early church. Now, granted, he knows that certain people are going to hear this and read this that aren't believers, and the prayer always is that through this and the message and the Holy Spirit working on them, they would come to faith in Jesus. But he's writing to believers. If you remember, all the way back at the beginning, we, he talked about the fact that he's writing to those who have been picked by the foreknowledge of God the Father in eternity past, those who have been purchased by the holy and precious blood of Jesus on the cross, and those who have been protected by the power of the Holy Spirit for an inheritance that is waiting for us in heaven. That is the audience that he is writing to. 
And if you remember, he talked about the fact that because of this, because of this common thing that we have, we are all part of the same family. We're all part of the same building, all members of the same royal priesthood and holy nation. That is who he is speaking to, believers, believers then and speaking to us today. And he addresses the attitude that we are to have as born-again believers. He gives us several characteristics. First of all, he says harmonious. That means to have the same mind. That means unity. That means unity. And when we talked about this a few weeks ago, we talked about the fact that Peter is not telling us that we all need to be uniform. That is not the design behind it. We're not supposed to all look the same and act the same and and do everything exactly the same. We talked about that again as part of a family. That would be boring if everybody was like you. It would be boring. There is diversity that's needed within a family. It adds adds an element to it that would be so, so missed if it wasn't there. But with diversity, cooperation is required. We have to get along with one another. Though we aren't uniform, we need to be harmonious together. We need to work and balance together. It also doesn't mean that we have to be unanimous. We're not all going to agree on everything and the way things should be done. We talked about that a few weeks ago again when we, when we were going through this, this section that we're not, we're not all going to see the same way and that's okay on certain things. There are certain principles that the Bible outlines for us that are non-negotiable. But there are areas that we need to have some flexibility to allow this diversity to show itself. Some, as we've talked about, prefer organ music and hymnals. Others prefer more contemporary style of worship. They're your brothers and sisters, even here at Calvary Chapel, surprise. Some of them chose to worship last night and come together, and you're here today. That's okay. It's not about a day of the week or a certain style of worship or certain things like that. It's not uniformity. It's not unanimity. It's unity. It's unity. We need to be united in purpose, though our methods may vary. Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 2, Make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. So his focus is that we need to, be, to have the same mind, harmony, the same love, united in the same spirit, intent on one purpose. But how we go about that is going to vary. Chuck Swindoll wrote it this way. Peter isn't calling us to sing together in unison, but in harmony, which means we all contribute our unique notes in a beautiful chorus that far surpasses any single note. Referring then to a choir or or a band playing together. The different notes that, that come together and provide, make that beautiful music. Paul, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, compared the body of Christ to an actual physical body. And he said, we're, not, we're all members of the same body, but we're not all the same members. We're not all hands, we're not all feet, we're not all ears, we're not all eyes. We're different members of the same body, not one more important than the other. The foot isn't more important than the hand. The ear isn't more important than the eye. We are all members of the body, all equally important to that body because without that member in the body, if we didn't have any feet, though our hands might be willing to work, we couldn't get anywhere to do it. We need each other to to do that. But in the same body, though there are different members, the same body all has the same DNA. 
And that is what we are called to be. We, we are all called to be different members of the same body, that same DNA, the same Holy Spirit flowing through us. Now, again, when I, when I think of this, I love that having the same mind. The first thing, and this is just the way I think, I guess. Having the same mind. I don't have any problem with that. I don't have any problem having the same mind with a, with a huge group of people, as long as it's mine. As long as it's my mind we're all agreeing on, right? We don't have any issue with it. But there is, there's one area, there's one area of this body that there's only one candidate for that, that member, and that's the head, and that's Jesus. It's his mind that we are to have, the mind of Christ. So we are to be harmonious. Next, sympathetic. It's a compound word. It, it ties together close, intimate association with suffering. That's what this word, word is saying, to be sympathetic, to be, to be close enough to each other to understand one another what we're going through, but then to come alongside and share in it. We need to understand each other, and we need to fellowship with one another, and then we need to bear one another's burdens. That is what this is calling us upon. But this is an adjective. It's not a verb. This is an attitude that needs to be within us. That is what he is outlining for us, attitudes that we are to have. Harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly. Brotherly. We are to, again, have this brotherliness, this familiness within us. Again, though, this this is an attitude, not an action. It's the adjective form of the word Philadelphia. It needs to be the attitude within us. He's not talking about action yet. And this attitude needs to come from the fact that we're not just casual acquaintances as, as the body of Christ. We're not just those that get together on the weekends. We're not just those that get together on Christmas and Easter. <laughs> we are called to be a close, intimate family with one another. The same Heavenly Father. We are called to be kind-hearted. It's funny that some, some words, when, when, they, when they're defined and when they're, they're explained, it, it, it kind of makes, makes you think, but it, it really defines the point. It gives, it gives it clear. This word literally means to feel generous from your belly, from deep down within you. Now, that doesn't mean from your stomach you share. That, that means that this should be an attitude deep down within us. Generosity should be what defi- deep down inside us. It's the opposite of hypocrisy. It's the opposite of doing something for ulterior motives or anything. It's to, it's to do something because that's, that's who you are. You're just generous, and you just want to share that. Paul used this word in Ephesians chapter two or chapter four, I'm sorry, verse 32. "Be kind to one another, tender-hearted is the word, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you." I like that. Tenderheartedness, that deep down emotion, it can't happen without forgiveness. He t- Paul ties those two directly together. We have to be willing to absolutely forgive one another in order for this attitude to be deep down in our bellies. Well, lastly, he calls us to be humble in spirit. Paul warns us a few times in the book of Romans that we should not think too highly of ourselves. We should not get too, too puffed up. Many times, and, and we are, this word, to, we are called to be humble over and over and over and over in Scripture because we constantly need reminding that we are called to be humble. In our flesh, our immediate reaction always is pride. 
and to build ourselves up and to puff ourselves up. And we can, we can go back. I, I, I noticed that, uh, that not all of you raised your hands when, you, when I asked if anybody messed up this week. And God bless you for those who've had that perfect week. But <laughs> for the rest of us, we can, we can, in our flesh, in our pride, we can, we can puff ourselves up to the point where we say, yeah, you know, I blew it this week, but not as bad as that guy. Or blame others for, well, it's their fault, it's their reasoning, it's, it's because of them that I've done this. And again, elevating ourselves. We are called to humility. Humility. And we have some great examples that the Bible gives us of, of humble men and women. And we're studying the life of Moses and the, and the children of Israel on Wednesday nights. We're going through the book of Exodus. And we just came out of the, the time when, when Moses came down with the, the, the original copies of the Ten Commandments and he saw the, the Israelite people worshiping the golden calf and he destroyed the tablets and, and, and you know the story. Well, he goes back up to meet with God again. And he comes into the presence of God and his prayer reveals again this humble man. He didn't say, God, forgive them of their sin. He said, forgive us. Forgive us. Isaiah, in, 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 his, in his writings, the first five chapters of Isaiah is, woe is you, woe is you, woe is you, sinners. But in chapter six, when he is in the presence of Almighty God, it is, woe is me. Woe is me. He says, I am a man of unclean lips amongst a people of unclean lips. When we come into the presence of Almighty God, we are all on the same playing field. Nobody higher or lower than anyone else. We all need to humble ourselves in his presence next to one another. I love the attitude of Paul. Paul, this righteous, godly man used in so many ways, towards the end of his life, he, can, he compared himself to the chiefest of sinners. He says, I, I, am, I am the one that, that is most blessed and undeserving of what I have. That needs to be our heart. This outlined for us, again, these are the attitudes that need to be within us. If we are to have this abundant life that Jesus promises us, that Jesus tells us we can have. Now, if we go through this list of these five characteristics, not one of them would appear in any top ten list of the world's characteristics or attitudes that you need to have in order to have the abundant life. But we're not talking about what the world is advertising here. We're talking about true abundance in life. What Jesus promised. And Peter goes on in verse 9 to take it up a notch. This attitude needs to be displayed in our actions. It can't just be something that we hold inside. It's got to come out of us. It has to be displayed in the way that we behave, in the way we interact. Look what he says. Not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. For you were called for the very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. Notice what he's, he's saying here. He's saying that these attitudes that are in us need to promote a certain type of response when we are come against. When evil is done to us, when someone speaks poorly of us and directly to us, there, our response is outlined for us, is what it should be. First of all, if someone does something evil, some, something bad to us, our response cannot be bad or evil in return. That is hard. Not going to sugarcoat that at all. That is very, very difficult. In our flesh, we want to retaliate. 
Somebody comes against me, I'm going back against them. And that was what the world would tell you to do. Stand up for yourself, demand fairness, sue them, go after them, blah, 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 blah. That's what the world would tell you. Demand justice, fairness. But that's not what Peter is telling us. Do not retaliate is what he is telling us. Do not go back in kind for what someone does to you. Now that's hard. But he goes on and says, or insult for insult. Returning words when someone speaks, speaks to you in a, in, a, in a harsh tone or in an in a, in a adverse way. Don't respond in kind. I think that's harder. <laughs> Anybody else kind of snappy this week? <laughs> that's just our natural reaction. When we feel threatened to fire back. But Peter is telling us that this attitude that we are to have within us should promote to where that isn't our natural reaction. The spirit within us should not respond when we are fired upon. So it's difficult, it's hard, there's no doubt about it, but look what he says next, but giving a blessing instead. I think that's the hardest of them all. I mean, I can, I can hold back, oh, I really want to pop that guy, okay. Okay, I'm not going to do that. And Oh, I really want to give him a piece of my mind, but okay, I'm not going to do it, okay, I get but give them a blessing to, to, to bless the one that's coming against me? Notice what he's saying here is not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but give a blessing instead. He's not saying bless those who bless you. God bless you. Hey, you too. God bless you too. That's not what he's saying. He's saying one who comes against you, one who brings evil at you, one who speaks negatively to you, you are to bless them instead. Again, interesting when we look at the, the word. The Greek word is eulogeo, a compound word again. Eu, meaning good. Logeo meaning, is logos, meaning word, good word. We are to speak a good word to those who speak negatively to us. We get our English word eulogize from that. And how sad is it, though, <laughs> That far too often the only nice thing we ever have to say about somebody is after they're dearly departed and we're doing a eulogy. But we are to eulogize, speak well of, this word is in the present tense. That means now and continually. Always we are to be speaking well of each other. Never speaking adversely about each other. Now it's one thing again not to trash somebody. I get that but to speak that well of them, to lift them up, to praise them, even in the midst of them saying or doing negative things to us. How do we do that? How in the world can we do that? One word answer, agape. It's the only way. It's the only way that we can. That agape, that love that is supernatural, that love that's not based on feelings or emotions, it's an unconditional love that is only brought to us as a fruit of the Spirit. And we need to exercise that. Jesus, again, our example, the one who told us that he came to give us this life abundantly, again, outlines it for us in the attitudes and the actions that we are to have. He gives us three steps. He says, love your enemies. What good is it if you love those who love you? Everybody does that. The world does that. Heathens do that. Love those who love them. Jesus said, love your enemies. He said, bless those who 
who curse you. Again, everybody blesses those who bless them. He says, bless those who curse you. And he said, pray for those who mistreat you. Again, I don't have any problem praying for somebody that I know is praying for me and that I know is looking out for me. Pray for those who mistreat you. Jesus gives us three steps to do this. Three steps. Love, bless, and pray. He gives even physical examples. He said, those, somebody strikes you on your cheek, somebody pops you in the mouth, turn, your other, turn the other cheek to them. Don't respond in kind. Don't fight back. If someone takes your coat, he said, offer them your shirt too. If somebody demands you walk a mile, you walk two miles with them. Back then, in that time when Jesus said that, if a Roman soldier came up to you as a Jew and said, you carry my stuff, you were required to drop whatever you were doing, pick up their load, and carry it one mile. And Jesus is saying, don't get to the end of that mile, throw the stuff down, and go back home. He said, you carry it two miles. Again, a Roman, the one who was oppressing the Jews. He didn't say, if your fellow Jew does this. He said, if a Roman does this. Bottom line, Jesus sums it up. He said, treat others the same way you want them to treat you. Again, our flesh in the world around us says, treat others the way they treat you. But Jesus said, no, 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 no. Treat them the way you want them to treat you. Expecting nothing in return. Love them, bless them, and pray for them. Well, Peter tells us at the end of verse 9, that there's, there's a reason for. You were called the very, by the very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. The reason for this, guys, is we are so blessed. We are so blessed. We have this inheritance that is waiting for us in eternity. And it's nothing that we have earned. It's nothing that we, we got based on our own merit. It is completely because of his grace. We have this debt that we owed, this debt that we couldn't possibly pay. And Jesus said, I love you so much, I'll pay it. And so he took it to the cross, our sin debt. We can never repay that. We need to continually remind ourselves of that. He didn't, Jesus didn't, he modeled it for us. He didn't return evil for my evil. And there was plenty to return but he didn't. He didn't didn't return insult for my insult, and there was plenty of insult there. But instead of returning evil or returning insult, he returned blessing. He didn't give me justice and fairness, and I praise him every day for that. Instead of giving me what I deserved, he gave me mercy, gave me grace, and because of that blessing, this should, be, this should be our natural attitude and action. Because of that alone. But that's not what Peter is telling us. He's telling us if we do this, if we live this way, we will be blessed now. Right now. We will have that life because look how it transitions. For you were called for the very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. Verse 10, for the one who desires life to love and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. He transitions into this middle part that I'm talking about. He's telling us about this life, this love, these good days that we can have. And he's quoting here from Psalm 34. 
He's quoting David from Psalm 34, these next couple of verses that we're going to go through. And what he's doing here is he's just made, again, his summary statement, summarizing the first two and a half chapters, and now he's going to use the Old Testament text to back up what he says. He's saying, basically, it's not just me saying this. This is what, this is what David wrote. But again, the hinging point here is it's pointing to this life, this abundant life that we can have if we follow these instructions. We must keep our tongue from evil and lips from speaking deceit. Again, what he had already talked about, our, our, acts, our returning insult for insult, we can't do that. We need to place a guard over our tongues. When we studied the book of James, we talked about the fact that out of the abundance of our heart, our mouth speaks. So when we speak evil things, it's telling us that we don't have Jesus Controlling our heart then. It's ourselves, it's our flesh lashing out. We need to surrender control of our hearts to, to our Lord and keep a watch over our tongue. Verse 11, he said, he must turn away from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. He gives us a couple of two-step processes here. First of all, he says we need to turn away from evil and do good. Again, it's not good enough to just stifle our desire to, to go off on somebody. We need to do that first, but then we need to do good to that person. We need to bless that person. He says we need to speak peace and pursue it. It's one thing to speak it. Hey, peace be with you. Or I desire peace with that person. It's another thing to pursue it. And as I mentioned, it's David who wrote this, Psalm 34. We see a great example of seeking peace and pursuing it in his life. He not only sought peace with the man who was trying to kill him, King Saul, but he pursued it as well. On a couple of different occasions, he had the opportunity to kill the king, laid right out before him. And in so doing, he would have immediately risen to that that position because he was the anointed king, the king in waiting. He was, he was already anointed, just needed to wait until King Saul was done away with. But he said, I desire peace with this man, and he pursued it. He pursued that peace with him. That is what we are called to do. And it says, for the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and the ears, his, his ears, attend to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. The eyes of the Lord are towards the righteous. And when we hear that, it's natural for us to say, well, again, looking back over this week and looking at the things that I've said and then done, I'm not righteous. And we aren't in ourselves. But again, praise God, Jesus took our sin to the cross and Paul tells us that in that exchange, when he took our sin to the cross, he gives us his righteousness. We are clothed in his righteousness. So as a born-again believer, this is for you. The eyes of the Lord are towards you. And that means he's looking out for you. He's caring for you. He's protecting you. He, over, over and over again in, in, in the word, Jesus is, it calls it, he's the good shepherd. He's the shepherd of us. We are the sheep. Sheep aren't aren't very smart animals. They aren't going to make it on their own. They need a shepherd. They need a good shepherd. They need a loving shepherd. They need a shepherd whose eyes are towards them. And that's what we have. It says, also, 
that his ears attend to their prayers. Our shepherd, our Lord, his ears attend to our prayers. That means that he is listening actively to our prayers. His desire is to to answer our prayers. He knows what we need before we ask, but he desires us to come into his presence and ask. I've been studying Daniel lately, and I just this past week reading chapter 10, and it tells of the time that Daniel prayed and was fasting. He was seeking an answer from the Lord. And we find out as we read through Daniel 10 that the the Lord said, the moment you began to pray, I dispatched an angel. I sent the answer. But it took a while to get there. It was not a moment late. God had a perfect plan for the entire thing. But God knows what we need. He, He sends the provision oftentimes before we even ask for it. But it's his provision. He knows what's best. And it arrives in in his timing. This This is our Lord. This is our shepherd. This is who David is writing about in Psalm 34. Now, in the time that we have left, I would like to take a look at this psalm, if you would turn with me, Psalm 34. And if you are one to... Take a little homework assignment, and you want to be blessed this week and encouraged, I would challenge you to read Psalm 34 every day this week. Take you just a couple of minutes, and you will be blessed. This is, this is an amazing psalm. I mean, every verse is just powerful. Every verse is just so encouraging and, and challenging. And it's in, when, we, when we read through this, if you didn't know what I'm about to tell you, you'd say, man, I can see David writing this. I can see David writing this from his, from his palace. Everything's good. There's no wars going on. Everything's at peace. All's good in the family. Everything's great. But that's not where he wrote it. That's not where he penned Psalm 34. And if you read the introduction to Psalm 34, it says, A psalm of David when he feigned madness before Abimelech, who drove him away and he departed. (laughs) Story here, this is early on. David finds out King Saul wants to kill him. He flees. He runs away. He runs away without any provisions. So he, he stops at Nob and he, he talks to the priest there and he gets Goliath's sword and some bread and some provisions. And he continues on running away and he real, thinks the only place that he would be safe is in the enemy camp. So he runs to Gath, Philistine country, thinking maybe he won't be recognized, but they recognize him immediately and they go and tell the king, hey, the, David... The one who's killed ten thousands of us is here. So David starts worrying for his own safety, so he acts like a madman. And the king says, what, I need another madman? Get this guy out of here. So they, they kick him out, and David runs away from there. That is what tells us that when David wrote this, he's fleeing for his very life. And you don't need to turn there now. You can jot it down if you're a note taker. But it's 1 Samuel Chapter 22, I'm going to read the first couple of verses. It says, again, speaking directly after this, it says, So David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brothers and his father's household heard of it, they went down there to him. Verse 2 says, Everyone who was in distress and everyone who was in debt 
And everyone who was discontented gathered to him, and he became captain over them. Now there were about 400 men with him. So word gets out that David has, has run here, and it comes through the, the safe channels to, to, to some, some men, 400 men and their families, and they come out to find David out in the wilderness, out in the, out in the desert. But it's interesting, it gives us a description of the people who come. First his family does, but then it tells us that a group of distressed, in debt, discontented men came. The rejects from, from Jerusalem come out to David, out into, the, out into the wilderness. And that's what David then takes to build his army. <laughs> the, ones, the ones who, were, who, who couldn't make it, who, were, who, were, who weren't happy where they were, came out to David. And David turns these 400 men into an elite fighting force. First of all, it tells us that they made him their captain. That means that they, they submitted themselves under him. They, sub, they subjected themselves. They said, all right, David, we've come out to you. We are going to trust in you. And we're going to follow you. We're going to do what you say. And, and David then provided for them. He protected them. And he trained them to become this elite force. And later on, it tells us that they were David's mighty men. Eventually, they end up in Jerusalem with David as he is the, the reigning king. But again, it starts out with a bunch of discontented, in debt, discouraged people. They just hung out with David. They watched him. They paid attention to him. They did what he said. And they had an abundantly blessed life. I can't help but draw the, the parallel to us. A bunch of discontented, in debt, discouraged people. We're all there. We've all been there. We've all realized that what the world is offering, what the world is telling us is a bunch of lies. We get discouraged by that. We're discontented with, with life as we've been living it. And we realize the debt that we owe, and we just can't. So we come to Jesus. And as we just think on that for a moment as we close, we all can find ourselves again in those places at times, distressed. Stressed out, at the end of ourselves, if you would wandered away but realized that I've, I've been trying to do this on my own and it's not working. And just like the prodigal son, all we have to do is, is just return and, and, and come back. Look at what it says in Psalm 34 here, verses 17 and 18. For those who are distressed, the righteous cry and the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Are you distressed today? Come to the king. Come to the king. He promises to hear you, to take care of your troubles. If you're crushed in spirit, he will save you. He'll be near to you that are brokenhearted. Are you... Uh, 
Are you in debt today? Whether, whether you are, are a born-again believer that has maybe slidden into an area of sin in your life, or you are here today and you've never trusted your, yourself to Jesus, never, never placed your faith and your hope completely in him, you're carrying this debt and, and you don't know what to do with it, well, again, our Lord says, give it to me. I've paid for it already. Why are you carrying that around? Give, give that to me. Come to me. Look at verse 21. It says, Evil shall slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. But the Lord redeems the soul of his servants, and none of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. But that's it. We take refuge in him, there's no condemnation. The Bible tells us there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We take our refuge in him. We run to him. Or we try to do it ourselves. And that tells us that if you do that, you will fail. We need to come to him. Discontented. That, that word literally means bitter-souled. Bitter in your soul, not towards someone, but towards something. Bitter, tired of it. Tired of feeling this same way. Tired of battling the same stuff. Tired of dealing with all of these things. Tired of running to the world for answers. Realizing it's just empty. Jesus said, all who are thirsty, come to me. When we come to Jesus, we will never thirst again. We will never want again. When we, when we come to him, just as David provided everything for these men, our Lord, our King provides everything for us. Look at verse 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for to those who fear him there is no want. The young lions do lack and suffer hunger. But they who seek the Lord shall not be in want of any good thing. We come to him, we will never be in want of any good thing. That's twofold. I love that promise. That means that if I want something that's good for me, he's going to give it to me. If I want something and I don't get it, that means it wasn't good for me. He knows. And he is the, if he's the captain... If he's the Lord of my life, I need to be good with that and, 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 and be blessed in that. Again, I, I love this picture because these guys, it doesn't tell us any of this elite training. They just hung around David. David was the one who killed Goliath. David was the one who led the armies. They just followed him. They just did what he did. They just hung close to David and they were abundantly blessed. And that's what we need to do. We need to hang close to the greater than David, our Lord, our Savior, Jesus. We need, to, we need to hang close to him. We need to be around him. We need to stay focused on him. And when we spend time with him, it says, 2 Corinthians 3.18, but we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. We are transformed into his image as we spend time with him. 
as we hang around him, as we watch what he does and do what he does. We listen to what he says and follow that direction. Make him captain and Lord. Well, just as with any midterm, there's a summarizing, there's a studying, but there's also an examination. And as we prepare our hearts this morning to celebrate communion, celebrate what our Lord did on our behalf, we do need to examine ourselves. We're called to examine ourselves in the Word. It tells us to do that. And I'd like to first just ask, ask us to be just brutally honest with ourselves and, and even ask the Lord to reveal those things to us. If you are here today and you're distressed, if you're discouraged, if you're carrying this debt around, this weight of sin, or, or Jesus said, come to me. Come to me, all who are weak and heavy laden. If you are here today and you are weak, you are weighed down with things of this world, with, with things that you're carrying around, Jesus said, don't do that. Just come to me. I'll take that. I've already paid for the sin. I'll, I'll gladly carry this burden for you. And he said, I'll give you a burden that's light. So we need to come to this, this conquering king. All of us, no matter where we are, just come. And when we understand again, when we spend that time in his presence, we, we realize that there's no other response than to just sing out his praise. Look if, with me, if you haven't already closed your, your Bibles, verse 1 of Psalm 34. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Again, David wrote this from a cave being chased down like an animal. I will bless the Lord at all times. My soul, verse 2, will make its boast in the Lord. The humble will hear it and rejoice. Verse 3, O magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. That's what we do when we celebrate communion together. We magnify him. We exalt his name together. Because he's worthy. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for who you are, what you did, and the calling that you've placed on us. Lord, we we do ask right now that by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would help us examine ourselves. And Lord, if there's anything in us, any attitude or any action that we've done, Lord, that is not pleasing to you, we bring that to you and we, we lay it at your feet. Lord, we come to you knowing that when we do that, we don't receive condemnation, we receive cleansing. Lord, my prayer this morning now is for any who are here that are, that are distressed, stressed out, just at the end of themselves. Those that are, that are tired of, of struggling and failing, tired of chasing what the world has offered but can never deliver. Lord, that are truly seeking 
the abundant, joy-filled life that you promised. Lord, we come to you. We come to you now. Lord, we thank you for this. We thank you for this, this opportunity, this, this invitation that you've given to us to come, and, to come and dine with you, to come and commune with you. And again, Lord, we recognize and remember that it's all because of you, all because of your love for us. Lord, help us to love our enemies as you've called us to do, to bless those who curse us, to pray for those who mistreat us. Because, Jesus, that's what you did. We praise you and thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.